Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today we're going to talk about motivation. Motivation for faith, motivation for faithfulness, motivation for doing the things that God has called us to do long after the feelings have left. Because don't we get excited about a a, a next step of faith or excited about what God has for us? And you hear a message by Pastor Philip and we all just lean in and we're excited to, to give, to serve. And then a couple months pass by and the motivation is gone. And so what is an enduring motivation? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I like to start off every message with a tension question of sorts. A question that I believe the text of scripture that we're going to be looking at resolves. And so the tension question for today is simply this. What is the enduring motivation for persisting in living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ? What is the enduring motivation for persisting? Now, I just want to get a sense of the room here, uh, who I'm talking to. Um, I know there are some folks in this room who have been persisting in a life surrendered to Christ, following the Lord for over 20 years. If you've been a Christian, now hold on, now, let me just make sure our hearts are right. This is not about bragging. This is not about posturing. This is just helping me understand who I'm talking to. So if you've been serving the Lord and doing your best to persist in faith for over 20 years, could you raise your hands real high? Raise your hands real high. Let's give these saints a big round of applause. 20 years plus, okay? Uh, how many folks in the room? Let's, let's go seven years or more. Seven years or more. Nice and high. Be proud. Seven years or more. Good round of applause. And then I just want to see like two years or less. Two years or less. Raise them up high. Raise them up high. Two years or less. Let's give these folks a big round of applause. And so regardless of where you are, it just helps me kind of see where the room is at. It becomes hard at different points along the journey. Um, I have a couple burdens I want to share with you. A burden is like, this is what breaks my heart. This is why I hope you lean in to what we're talking about today. Uh, The first burden is the fact that I want to put it up on the screen here. Long obedience in the same direction is difficult. Eugene Peterson, he's the author of the Message Translation of the Bible, the Message Translation, and he defines discipleship, following after Jesus as long obedience in the same direction. And long obedience in the same direction isn't easy. We want to give tithes and offerings, and we're compelled to do it and convicted to do it. But how many do you know when those ends are a little short? Come on, somebody. And when there's too much month at the end of the money, we don't feel like being obedient with the giving that we said we would do months and years ago or when January started. Long obedience in the same direction is difficult. Or how about when you sign up to serve? Come on, somebody. You sign up to serve, and you show up early, and then two months later, you're like, I'm sick of showing up early. I don't want to do this anymore. 
you serve in the kids ministry, right? And you loved kids before you got in the kids ministry. And let me just talk to our kids ministry volunteers who right now they're serving. So they're probably listening to this by podcast or something long after it's done. We give our kids ministry volunteers a big round of applause. Yeah. Yep. And so they don't even get to hear the message live on on the weeks in which they serve. And long obedience in the same direction can be difficult as it relates to serving. Long obedience in the same direction can be difficult as it relates to reading your Bible. Come on, somebody. Some of you, right, stopped your Bible reading plan like months ago, and you've just been waiting for January. Come on, anybody? You're just waiting for January, and I'm going to start reading the Bible again. I'm going to start praying again. Like, I'm just going to restart. I think it was like January 20th of last year. I was done with my diet, and it was like, well, I'll just wait till 2020. We'll just restart it again. Long obedience in the same direction is difficult. Now, if you're not a believer in the room today, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're checking things out. And so maybe today's message, I, I, we're just letting you know for real, like if you give your life to Jesus, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a blessing and it's a gift to have our eternal salvation secured, but to be faithful to following the things that he commands in response to his grace is hard over the long haul. And so that's, that's one of my burdens. Like faithfulness is hard. How many of you would say amen? amen. Now here's the second, second burden I have. Many Christians have temporal and unhealthy motivations for living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ. I don't only want to talk about motivations because staying motivated is hard. I also want to talk about motivations because if we're being honest, the motivations that many of us have for doing this Jesus thing can oftentimes not even be that healthy. Many times they could be self-serving. And you might say, come on, Ed, you don't know me. How are you going to come up here and tell me about my motivations? Okay, okay, I don't know you, but I'm going to put some motivations on the screen and let's try to locate ourselves and, and let's be honest. And I'm going to be honest about some of my motivations, but we're going to put these motivations on the screen. And the whole goal over this next several minutes is just to locate ourselves in regards to why do you come to church? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you read your Bible? When it comes to this prayer meeting on Tuesday night, why are you really gonna show up? What's beneath the reason that you give to everyone out of your mouth? What's the reason in your heart? Let's just talk about a few motivations. Fear, I obey to avoid punishment. A lot of us got into this whole thing out of fear, right? There was some message about hell, and it was like, nah, man, I'm cool. Give me Jesus. <laughs> and we know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So a healthy fear is okay, but an unhealthy fear is not going to be an enduring motivation. I mean, some of the husbands in the room, come on, you're here because you fear your wife. Come on. And what she might say to you if you don't get up and show up. Don't say amen too loud, okay? <laughs> Approval. This is a big one. I want Pastor Philip to see me at the prayer meeting. 
Because I want him to think that I'm more holy than I actually am. I want to serve because I want my team leader, because I want Jamila, or because I want the ministry leader to see me as faithful. So if I'm being honest, I'm not serving because I love the Lord. I'm serving because I want to be approved by people. How does approval play into the spiritual disciplines and the Jesus things that you do? Do you come to church because you want approval? If you're a teenager in the room, maybe some of you, I just, I want my parents to approve of me. Maybe some of you adults in the room, you still have the voice of your mom or your dad or your guardian in your ear. And so you're literally coming to church and doing Jesus stuff for their approval satisfaction. I obey to experience joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with having the, uh, the motivation of satisfaction, but like I mentioned before, what happens when serving in children's ministry or serving in, in guest services, in hospitality, or serving on the music team, it's no longer satisfying. What happens when the approval of Pastor Philip no longer matters to you? What happens when you no longer fear what God may do to you or others may do to you? Then you might stop because the motivation is gone. Blessing. I put this in yellow because I think if we're being honest, this is at work in all of our lives. We do Jesus stuff because we want to be blessed. Come on, come on, come on. There's a big game tonight. There's a big game tonight. And so our church attendance is a down payment on a 49er victory. It's a down payment. Some of you are here so you can literally say, but Lord, I went to church. Some of you, when you give your tithes and offerings, you're literally thinking to yourself at some point, this is going to hit. This is going to hit. Ed, how do you know? Because it was me for years. Tithing was my spiritual slot machine. I am giving not because I love the Lord. I'm not giving because I trust the Lord. I'm giving because I want to use the Lord to bless my ends and my means. Why do you give? And let me just, okay, is this me? You know, and it's not a zero-sum game. I know in this church you have some good godly motivations, but I just want to do some surgery today because how many of you, as, as is possible under the Holy Spirit, want to have as pure and God-honoring motivations as possible? Someone say amen. amen. Now, here's a little diagnosis question of whether or not this stuff is you. Pride, I obey to feel superior to others. I know this is no one at Inspire, but you know it's possible to read your Bible, to memorize scripture, to do all this stuff, because at the end of the day, you just want to feel better than the next person. Knowledge puffs up. Obligation, I obey because the Bible says. I mean, that's, I guess, a good reason to obey, but is that going to attract a watching world? Why do you go to church? Why do you serve? Why do you serve the city? Why do you love all the Bible says I have to? That sounds really fragrant, and there's a lot of aroma to, come on, no one's going to get involved with this if we feel obligated. Now, how do you know if this is you? How do you know if some of these unhealthy motivations are your motivations? 
Here's the kicker. Here's the question. How mad do you get when things don't go your way? How mad do you get when things don't go your way? I'm single. And I've been serving the Lord and I've been tithing and I've been giving and God has yet to bless me with a spouse. How mad do you get when things don't go your way? That kind of shows you I was serving, I was giving, I was doing all the things because I was hoping it was going to be the down payment on my spouse. What happens when the financial situation doesn't improve? What happens when you lose the home? What happens when you lose the job? And I become angry because I was giving and I was being faithful and I did what Pastor Philip said to do and and things got worse. What happens when I was praying and praying and praying but the health situation doesn't change? I actually lose my loved one. That actually points to an obedience that might have been driven out of selfishness rather than worship. What is motivating you today? Um, I've been there as it relates to giving. I've been there as it relates to prayer. I'll talk more about this later, but prayer in particular has always been difficult for me because basically at the point where I think I'm wasting my time, I stop. And have you ever been there? where you literally come to the conclusion and you spiritualize it, it's probably not God's will. I'm just gonna stop. I'm gonna stop praying for this thing to happen. And so what is a deeper motivation than these things here? Is there something deeper? Is there something better? Is there something longer lasting? Is there something less selfish? The good news is the scripture has something to say about this. The good news is, is there is hope. There is a deeper motivation. And we are going to be today in a book that you've been in now, I believe, for 11 weeks. And I know he did the season finale last uh, weekend, but I guess I'm going to tack on just a little bit more of Romans before we get uh, into the Christmas series, before you guys get into the Christmas series next week. The text that we're going to be looking at today is Romans eleven thirty three through 36. If you have your Bibles, definitely take them out. If you got your, your smartphones, take those out. And let's look up Romans eleven thirty three through 36. And in this passage here, we're going to find an enduring motivation, a godly motivation. Now, because you guys have been in the book of Romans, I'm not going to give too much context. You guys know the Apostle Paul writing to this church at Rome, Pastor Philip doing an excellent job of walking you guys through Romans. Now, let me give you some context, though, to Romans 11. Romans 11 comes at the tail end of what uh, theologians and commentaries see. Romans split up really into two parts. Romans 1 through 11, in a lot of ways, is the theology of the gospel by faith alone, what you guys are learning, how, how, how we're saved by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. It's this outworking of what does it mean to be saved. In many ways, Romans 1 through 11 is all about that. And then Romans 12 on is how you work out that theology in your life. 
And so that'll be upcoming as, as you guys walk through the book of Romans. But at the end of Romans 11, these passages that we're going to look at and these verses that we're going to look at, what Paul is doing is giving a summary statement to the beautiful theology of the gospel. He's, he's tying it up with a summary statement. Now, we, you know these verses you went over. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We get these passages that if you grew up in church, you memorize at a young age. And then in Romans 11, at the tail end, the apostle Paul sums it up. So if you're ready to jump into God's word today, if you're ready to discover the enduring motivation, could you just give me a, I'm ready? ready. I'm ready. Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Paul writes to the church at Rome, oh, the depth, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God's wisdom is deep. His knowledge is deep. How unsearchable are his judgments, the way God judges, the way God determines what's right, what's wrong, the way God determines who gets this and who gets that and who doesn't get this and who doesn't get that. His judgments are unsearchable. Everyone say they're unsearchable. You can't find them and how inscrutable his ways. Everyone say inscrutable. I don't even know what that means, but, but I think that's what his ways are. We don't even know what it means. Inscrutable, I don't know. That's what it is about his ways. We don't know. Unexplainable, ununderstandable, un not understandable, hard to be understood. This is our God. Unsearchable judgments, inscrutable ways. Do you see God this way? Or do you try to determine his judgments? See, instead of trying to place judgment and try to sort of trying to say, well, this is how God would judge, why don't we just all settle in our minds today that his judgments are unsearchable? We will never know how to judge as he judges. So we should just stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop it. And his ways are inscrutable. I don't even know. His ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, his ways and his thoughts are higher than our own. Let's stop trying to figure out his ways. And then he goes on to say, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Some will say nobody. Some will say not me. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Someone say, I've tried. <laughs> Haven't you tried to be God's counselor? Lord, this is what you need to do with my wife. <laughs> Lord, this is what you need to do with my husband. Come on. He's not listening to me. So let me counsel you, God, on what you should do with my kids, especially that one I don't like. Come on. I love them all, Lord, but I don't like that one. You better help me. Let me counsel you, God, in what you should do with my boss. Let me counsel you, God. Thanksgiving is coming up. Let me counsel you what you need to do with my mother-in-law. 
You better straighten her out because we're not going to go there again this year, Lord. And we try to counsel God. This is what you need to do for me, Lord. This is how you need to bring me along. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. Boy, do we try to repay God back. And how do we know? Once again, it's when we try to bring it up as a case before him. God, this things ain't working out. I went to church. What are you saying? You were trying to pay him back? What are you saying? That by going to church, you were, you were due something? And so this is this view of God that Paul is giving us. Depth of riches and wisdom, unsearchable judgments, inscrutable ways. No one knows his mind. No one can repay him. And so it's in light of this big God, a much bigger God than we tend to operate with on a weekly basis. Come on, in many ways, he's just our buddy. In many ways, he's just the guy who's supposed to come alongside our plans. He's not the one who's unsearchable and inscrutable and infinite in all of his ways. Paul brings us to this attention, and then he says, for from him... This unsearchable, inscrutable God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What does this have to do with motivation? Well, let me just tell you, I've done this study. I've, I've looked in the Greek. I've Googled stuff. And, and as I look at this passage... I don't see the word me in here. Can you find it? For from him and through him and to us, at least us. Okay, I'll do us at least. Us is not in here. It's from him, through him and to him. And then are what? All things. I did a deep dive into the Greek of that word, all, and it returned back the word everything, everything. So from him is the air that we breathe. From him are the skills that you have. From him are the faculties right now to see, to hear, to process. Do I believe what this guy is saying? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? You're discerning truth. That's all from him. Yeah. Wow. And you're simultaneously thinking about the game this afternoon and what you're going to eat. Some of you right now, you're listening to me and like, what am I going to eat for lunch? <laughs> That's from him. It's from him. And it's through him. What does that mean? He sustains it. He doesn't only give it to you, but he sustains it. He sustains your love. He sustains your peace. He sustains your skills. He sustains all the faculties you have. Now, here's the thing. We know that in many ways. We know it's from him, and we know it's through him, but we would want this verse to end for us. It's from him, through him, for us, right? You do all these things for us so we can live a more comfortable life. And it says, no, it's to him are all things. To him be glory forever. To him be glory. What does that mean? That means the weight, 
That means the props. That means the praise. That means the lip service. It should all be to his glory. Not to us in our comfort. This catechism. Uh, for hundreds of years, people have been learning the scriptures and the way things work. You know, if you're familiar, grew up in Catholic background, catechism would be something you're familiar with. A lot of times it's a question and an answer. And, and a catechism that's been around forever is this Westminster catechism. And the question number one of this whole catechism is what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him together, to glorify God, to glorify God, to glorify God. Why do we do the things we do? What is the enduring motivation? To glorify God. So, so here's the thing. I, I'm a guest preacher. Who knows if he'll ever invite me back, but I'm just going to let it loose right here. Is that okay? I'm going to give you just a sobering truth. Don't this. I'm just the messenger. Here we go. God did not. Everyone say did not. not. Create you primarily to love you, bless you, or even save you. God created you ultimately to glorify himself. God did not create you to love you. He was fine without us. He doesn't need you. But in his infinite love, he chooses to love you. But not just so you can have the touchy-feely, oh, God loves me, Jesus loves me, I'm loved. He loves you so you could point back to him and say, why would an infinite holy God love a scumbag like me? Why? Why? You know, God did not even save you for you. He did not open up your eyes to the need for Jesus just so you could not go to hell. He did it to glorify himself so that you could say, wow, out of the 7 billion people in the world, at some point in time, God opened up my eyes to a need for a savior. Under no compulsion of my own, under no understanding of my own, I just realized I am toast if I don't have a savior. I need a substitute. I need someone to live the righteous life that I could never live, die the death that I'm supposed to die. I need someone to do that for me. God opened up your eyes to that, but he didn't do it just so that you could say, oh, I'm not gonna go to hell when I die. He did it so you could glorify him and to say to God be the glory for saving a wretch like me. It's not for you. And this is why people say things like, I tried Christianity already, and it didn't work for me. Newsflash, it's not for you. I didn't like service today. I'm sorry, if you never invite me, it's it's cool, I'm just going. Service wasn't for you. Maybe you didn't like service today because you didn't bring nothing to service today to give unto God. 
Because regardless of how good the music is, regardless of how good the, the message is, you could bring a heart of worship unto the Lord and service will be great every single time. Every single time. I didn't like the music today. And let me just speak on behalf of our worship team and some of the things they might hear. Let me just hook you guys up right now. Those songs weren't for you. Those songs were for the Lord. Oh, but that's not the one I really, I really like these other ones. Stop it. Stop it. You better just praise God that you can barely sing at least. I, I just, here, here's why I, I think this is so important to me. The world needs to see a version of God that we praise even when he doesn't give us what we want. That's a God worth giving your life for. See, if we just do this Jesus thing because it's our road to our ends and our means, then what the world just chooses a bunch of other stuff for that. And God is just our version of that. But if we could serve the Lord in suffering, if we could suffer the Lord through darkness, if we could serve the Lord even when nothing else is going for us, now that's a God worth worshiping. Amen? So I'm going to start to wind this down here. What is the enduring motivation, once again, for persisting in living a life that is obedient and surrendered to Christ long after the feelings have left you? What is going to stick? I say it this way. The worthiness of God. The glory of God is the single enduring motivation because the worthiness of God is the purpose of creation. It's why we were created. See, when you get in line with doing things for the reason why they exist, that's when it becomes easiest. Let me say that one more time. When you do things for the reason why they exist and you find the purpose of a thing and you actually use it for that thing, that's when it has the optimum output. That's when you get the optimum productivity, when you're actually using it for what it was made to do. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I mean, it's just like a, pen, a pencil is only as glorious as when you actually use it to write things down. Yes, you can snap people's fingers with it and do all the different things we did growing up with a pencil, but it's ultimately at its best when it's used to write. We are ultimately at our best when from him and through him and to him is everything that's going on in our lives. That is when we are at our best, when we're worshiping God because he is God. Not because of what we're going to get out of it, but because who he is. Here's the other way I say it. The worthiness of God is the single enduring motivation because the worthiness of God is the never changing reality. His holiness, his perfection, his infinitude, his glory, it will never change. Who you want approval from, that changes. What your financial situation needs to be, that changes. How you feel about a certain person, that changes. So for us to be doing Jesus stuff based off those faulty motivations, it just won't last. But to do it for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's a motivation that will last. 
So let's apply this to our lives and we'll shut this down. Here's the to-do. Ask yourself, number one, and maybe during groups this week, or groups are done, huh? You guys are taking a break. Okay, not groups this week. That won't work. But just in your own heart of hearts, in your own personal devo time, come on, somebody. Ask yourself, what are my motivations for living a life that is surrendered to Christ? You just begin to ask yourself, so what are my motivations? Let's just keep it real. I think the young kids feel it. They said, keep it a buck. Is, is that how they're saying? Keep it a buck. Keep it. You don't even know. I don't even know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying. I'm just trying some stuff. Um, <laughs> keep it real. Be real with yourself. Why do you really do these things? And then secondly, ask yourself, what is the next step of obedience that God is calling me to take? And then ask yourself, is God worthy of me obeying? I'm going to give you just three examples here. And um, so I, I, want to, I want to just share with you how this has landed in my own life. This is not just some theological thing. I, I didn't come to this conclusion that the worthiness of God is the single enduring motivation, like just through Bible study. The worthiness of God is being a motivation for my life has, has been something I've discovered. Um... My wife and I, we've been married for 15 years, 15 years. Praise God, praise God. 28 now, we got married when we were 13. It was glorious, it was glorious. Um, for 15 years, my wife and I have been praying for a child. I want a little Dean Maverick. Come on, somebody, I want one of those. 15 years believing for that. People praying for us. People speaking words of life over us and, and knowledge over us. I see you having a child one day. You know how that goes. People believing that for us. And it hasn't happened. And we've prayed and we've persevered, but it hasn't happened. And you start to grow weary in praying and persevering. And then at the top of this year, we said to ourselves, okay, getting older, Let's really look at the calendars. Let's, let's just do all the stuff that you got to do. Like all the stuff. Come on, somebody. All the stuff. And, and let's, really, let's really give it our best effort to, to have a child this year. March of this year, we find out, out of nowhere in many ways, that my wife has cancer in her uterus. Really, Lord? I'm a preacher man I like work for you literally and you're just gonna allow this on the year that we're like really trying in the place where like this all goes down and happens come on God and so since March you pray and you persevere and we believe for healing and you do all the things Yet I find myself in a prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, if I'm being honest, having no desire to pray for a child anymore. Having no desire, very little belief for healing. And we're at this prayer meeting and we're going around asking what should we be praying for? What should we be believing God for? The church turns to me and says, well, how about you, Ed? I'm like, leave me alone, man. This ain't about me. I'm the pastor, man. I lead this meeting. I lead this meeting. 
on. And I just felt in that moment so strongly a motivation that's been different from all the other motivations. I'm not going to pray this because I want a child. I'm not going to pray this because I want healing. I'm going to pray this because I want my prayer to be an act of worship. I'm going to worship you by praying this one more time. I'm going to worship you by saying, God, heal my wife. And if you don't, I just want to keep praying it as worship. I want to be the type of man that prays an unanswered prayer for 40 years because God is worthy. Because he's worthy. So what is it for you? Maybe it's to pray an unanswered prayer. There's someone in your family who's unsaved. There's a health situation that you've been praying for, for yourself or for a loved one. There's a financial situation. There's a depression. There's an anxiety. And you've ceased praying for healing because you've just thought to yourself, this is the way it's going to be. And maybe, just maybe, as an act of worship, you would say, God, heal me. Let me worship you with a faith, a mustard seed of faith that says, you are able. God, would you heal me? What is the prayer that you need to continue to pray as an act of worship? Who is the person you need to forgive as an act of worship? Not because it's going to make the relationship better. Not because things are going to get better. But because God is worthy of you extending forgiveness. Can you see how this works in real time? That the worthiness of God like a magnet pulls you through to do something that you wouldn't keep doing otherwise. I'm going to end with this one. To confess a sin. To confess a sin. Some of you right now are living in unrepentant sin. Some of you have hidden sins and you are not confessing them because there will be consequences if you confess them. There will be shame if you confess them to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your pastor. But what if... You'll confess this week because God is worthy of your honesty. Is God worthy of you being honest? Is he worthy? Is he worth it? Here's, here's what we need to start saying to ourselves when we don't serve him, when we don't confess, when we don't forgive, when we don't pray. Let's just be honest. Can we just agree to all just say, He's not worth it. That's why we stop. Because to you, he's not worth it. It's not worth it. But when you see him is worth it, it will pull you through to do things that you thought you would never do. He is worth it. Blessing isn't even worth it. Let me just tell you, approval isn't worth it. Not being fearful, that's not worth it. 
God alone is worth it. Let's close with Jesus. How many of you want to see Jesus as we close? Can we see Jesus? Let's look at Jesus as our example. John 12, 27 through 28. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Just moments before he's going to go to the cross. Jesus is struggling with motivation. He's troubled. He says, Father, save me from this hour. I don't want to die for the sins of all humanity. I don't want to do this. Save me. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, Father. What? Glorify your name. Christ is our example as the one who glorifies Jesus through his obedience. But it gets better. It gets better. Christ is more than our example. Christ is our substitute. Christ is not just our example in glorifying Jesus through his obedience. He's our substitute. What does that mean? That means that we don't have to have our motivations right to be right before God. Why? Because Jesus had every right motivation. And when we place our faith in him, his righteousness is credited to us. His righteous motivations are gifted to us. So even now, as there may be some conviction around motivations, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because Christ's righteousness is, is clothing us. He got it right. So even when we can get it wrong, even when we do get it wrong, we can come before God boldly. Are you guys catching this? You don't have to get your motivations right to be right before God. Jesus, every motivation perfect is credited to you. Someone say hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We thank you, God, for gift righteousness. Last week you learned faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. These are called solas. Another sola is for the glory of God alone. It's for him alone. Can you imagine a church community that does things to worship God just because he's God? Not because they're looking to get anything, but because he's God. You think Union City would, would flock to a community of people who are praising God because he's worthy? That's what I see for this place. The best is yet to come because God is worthy and inspired church is going to be a church that knows it from the inside out. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and let's close and pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for Jesus who modeled this for us. And through faith in him, our motivations are made whole. We praise you, Lord. Would you show us our next step of obedience? Would you show us your worthiness to take that step of obedience? And will we respond in faith? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.